0: to look at Galatians chapter 5, I will see in verse 22, Galatians chapter 5, looking at it in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self control against such things, there is no law. Just a quick reminder of what the book of Galatians is all about. Imagine Paul having a letter laid out on a desk before him. Paul had read this letter and he has reread it a number of times, but there's nothing to assuage or ease is shock and disappointment. And so Paul is wondering, what's going on here? What's wrong? You see, the problem in the letter is because some of Paul's converts in Galicia, it seems, were intending to be circumcised so that they could be accepted as full-fledged proselyte Jews, and in doing so become part of the people of God. However, Paul would none of it. He disagrees vehemently. Now, Paul does not disagree simply because circumcision was wrong, not at all. It wasn't wrong in itself. If it was, the question would be how And why would God have commanded Abraham to do it? However, for Paul, for his Gentile converts, it will simply imply that the only real way to become a full member of the righteous people of God, and of course, to continue to be the people of God will be conversion to Judaism. Now, That doesn't make sense to Paul. Paul does not agree. So he wouldn't allow that under any circumstance. Why? One may ask, simply because to do so will relegate Christ to secondary importance. The good news as far as Paul is concerned was nothing of that sort. Christ's death will be rendered a senseless tragedy of no use, and it will lose its place as the ground for salvation. So Paul writes to them a letter very passionate and maybe what some will consider occasionally intemperate. I mean, if you look at Galatians chapter five, verse 12, the letter is full of some, what we will call exaggeration about those who are trying to up the things with his converts. I mean, that's exactly what parents will do when they want to warn their children from doing some things that are foolish and they give stand warnings and tell them, well, if you take drugs, you probably will die. I mean, they want to talk to them in ways that make them to see the senselessness or the foolishness of what they're about to do. Paul's letter to the Galatians was a letter full of serious thought, so it emerges directly out of the meaning of Christ's death and resurrection, and of course, the significance of the presence of the Spirit in the life of the community. You see, For Paul, the Gentile Christ Galatians, though through their belief in Jesus the Messiah, have become part of God's righteous people, in other words, they are now part of the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They do not need anything in addition. They are already full-fledged members of God's holy people, and their lives should reflect that. So what Paul begins to do then is to set out the implications of their conversion for the life of the community. So what does he do? He does a few things. Number one, he speaks of the importance of unity in the community. And this is something Paul is always exercised about. I mean, and it's illustrated most clearly in the table fellowship between the believers. In order to accentuate that, Paul tells a story. So it tells a story of what happened in Antioch where Jews and Gentile Christians were eating their meals together, celebrating the Lord's presence with them until some men came from James to tell them to stop doing otherwise. You see, these people were so persuasive that even Peter and Barnabas, Paul's very good friend, agreed that they should behave differently and eat only meals prepared according to the rules. But Paul saw that as confusing. The unity of the body Oneness in Christ does not come from bringing Gentiles into full-fledged observant of Jewish Kashrut. In other words, being in Christ takes precedent even over the specific identity of the people as Jews or Gentiles. In the new people of God, constituted by Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, and for that matter, slaves and free people, males and females are equally welcome. So fellowship cannot be determined by national identity or any other grounds, and we still need to bear that in mind today, that our identity in Christ trumps our ethnic identity, our national identities, our gender, our gender, our gender, our genealogy, our geography, whatever it is, especially at the table of the Lord, all are equally welcome as brothers and sisters. You see, Paul would have been appalled and outraged at churches in several parts of the world today which are separated on racial grounds. Second, Paul makes it clear, the the issue of identity. You see, on what conditions does one become part of the people of God as far as Paul is concerned, since the death and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit, the new people of God are now identified not by circumcision, but by the Spirit of God in their midst. So the, the key issue or the key criterion for being a part of the new people of God is the presence of the Spirit. The circumcision of the heart, that's what Paul calls it elsewhere. You see, so circumcision of the flesh in and of itself doesn't really matter. And that leads to Paul's main point. So Paul asked one question of his Gentile converts. Did you receive and experience the presence of the spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing the good news about Christ? That's Galatians 3.12. The answer seems obvious. But then, why are they willing to subject themselves to circumcision? Maybe they have not really understood the implications. What they fail to realize, Paul is saying, is this. Now, if you go the whole way and you become proselyte Jews, you are obligating yourself to every aspect of the whole law. So to do so would be to turn something which had a temporary function in God's purposes in bringing them to salvation. The third issue, which comes out of the second is, how do the only people of God live? How do we now live now that we become the people of God? What you characterize our lives? What should be the marks of our new life? Well, one would have been surprised reading through Galatians that some were probably advocating or urging the observance of the Torah, but not Paul. But if they are not to take that on, is there not a serious risk that the converts of Paul will simply return to their old ways in pagan culture? This is a serious concern and Paul is not oblivious or unaware of this danger. So while Paul, on the one hand, affirms freedom in Christ from the obligations of full Torah observance, he wants them, on the other hand, not to use their freedom as a means of self-indulgence. We see that in chapter 5, verse 13. You see, nothing will be further from the intention of the Torah, which is summed up in the single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now the question is, how could they live that life of love? Paul gives an answer. It doesn't leave the people guessing. Answer, simple, carry on living by the spirit. When they began their lives as the people of God, they started with the spirit. They started with the spirit. We see that in chapter three, verse two, but then life in the spirit must be based on more than just having a sacred memory, something that happened in the past, but it must be an ongoing, a dynamic life-shaping relationship, working by the spirit, with lives controlled by the spirit. It's a journey in which the orientation of the Christian life, the believer's new life, the orientation of the whole being is towards God and towards God's purposes. Simply stated, the life led by the spirit issues in the fruit of the spirit. You see today people talk in charismatic circles and different circles, life in the spirit, what what exactly does it mean? And we want to say that life in the spirit is more than just speaking in tongues. And get me right, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Wesleyan, I'm not ashamed of speaking in tongues, but we are saying, and I'm saying that it is more than just speaking in tongues and such experiences. No, life lived by the spirit issues in the fruit of the spirit. I mean, you ask yourself, what's the purpose of speaking in tongues while well, there's anger, there's malice, there's bitterness, and all that? That raises a lot of questions, but that's not the point we're making here. The point we're trying to make is that the life lived in the Spirit must issue forth in the fruit of the Spirit. So, Paul now lists the characteristics of the Spirit guided life in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You see, descriptions of holy living have often started from the fruit of the spirit, complete with an analysis of each item on the spirit. Now, that may be helpful, but it doesn't really capture Paul's point. We need to state, when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit, Paul does not see these as human virtues that the believer has to cultivate, water them, fertilize them, as if they grew on a tree. No, that's not the way Paul understands the fruit of the Spirit. Their origin is from God. Their source is God. And their growth and development only occur, occur only by living by the Spirit and being guided by the Spirit. So Paul has already highlighted the central theme of love. That's important. We need to bear that in mind. Then, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's important for us to bear in mind that Paul is not talking about a private well being. No, not at all. Something which is just private, I enjoy it privately. No. Each item on the list, each aspect on the list is best understood in the context of social relationship. When we look at the list, it's very clear. You see, the spirit-controlled, spirit-directed, and spirit-guided life is none other than the life of God's love lived out in relationships within the community. That is where the fruit of the spirit is demonstrated on a daily basis. You see, none of these virtues is actually describing something like an inner peace, tranquility, which exists in and of itself apart from the well-being of the community. Is talking about social relationships within the body of Christ. We are created as social beings. Humans are created as social beings. We are created in the image of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know, that's why we talk about a communitarian divinity. If that is the case, our redeemed existence is to model the love that is the very essence of the relationship between the Father, the Son, as the Spirit. That's why Paul could say, for instance, in Romans 5.5, 5, that God's love <clears throat> has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. You see, the opposite of the life guided by the Spirit is a life controlled by the flesh. You see, some argue that uh, Paul sees the the, 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 spirit, the flesh and the Spirit as two warring factions fighting within the life of the Christian, as if they were gladiators, of fighting for supremacy in the area. That's the way some interpret that life of the flesh, life of the spirit, flesh versus spirit. So there are two, these two warring factions in the heart of the believer, struggling with which other, which one is going to overcome. That's a misunderstanding of the text. Rather. Paul is talking about two orientations of life. One, the life of the flesh is human-based, is self-centered, is self-indulgent. The other, the life in the spirit is God-given, has its source in God, is God-centered, spirit-driven, and issues in the life of service to others. And these two, Two orientations cannot coexist. You see, a life lived in the flesh is, is more than just a life which gives unfettered rain to self-indulgence in every sort of in every kind of sin of the flesh. No, 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 no. It is, a, it is far more comprehensive, very subtle, very dangerous, speaking primarily of distorted relationships emerging from a self-centered mindset. In the life of the flesh, the actions are controlled by self-interest, a life that is turned inward, turned on itself. As Zeisler, as Zizler rightly says in his epistle to the Galatians, I I like this one, it's a wrongness towards God, wrong use of the physical body, but especially wrongness in our dealings with one another are the things that betray our living according to the flesh. So it should not surprise anyone that these categories of wrongdoing are very similar to those outlined in the holiness code, which you find in Leviticus 19 to 26. The way of the flesh is not the way of the spirit. And those who belong to Christ were told in Galatians 5 24 have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. That pattern of living has come to an end. The old way of life is dead. The orientation towards self and self-indulgence is now past. Now the orientation of the believer's life is on God and controlled by the spirit. But then we ask the question. What happens when things go wrong in a community of faith? Paul is well aware, is not ignorant, is all too aware of the problems we can imagine within the body of Christ. That is imagine the church community of believers. In fact, in chapter five, verse 15, he hints that things might not be all they should be in the community And you could see the advice that follows in chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. And then he ends that by saying, we should walk for the good of all, and especially for those who have the family of faith. So clearly, the passage suggests that there's a need for an ongoing day-by-day orientation to the life of the Spirit. You see, we cannot reduce a life to a starting point. That's why we always say, holiness is both instantaneous and progressive because you can't reduce a life to its starting point. What was wrong among the Galatian congregations, we do not know exactly. Maybe Paul would argue that some of the believers' actions and attitudes are reflective of the life of the flesh. Perhaps some are in danger of returning to self-centered mindset, Whatever the specifics, we're all alert enough to know that enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, divisions, dissensions, argumentations, factions, all these things bring problems into the church. And we also know that the life of the flesh occurs in churches today. Now, if the Galician church were a modern church, the problems might well be expressed in a different way I about my rights. I about my security. I about my view. I about my opinion. My feelings. My pain. My heart. But they will still amount to the same thing: self-centered mindset. And Paul reminds us that the consequence of selfish living and attitudes is corruption, personal as well as communal disintegration. That way lies destruction. But Paul does not leave that unaddressed. The antidote to such damaging, reckless behavior is to remind them of the starting point, death to the life of the flesh, and call them now to live out the life of the spirit in love to one another. In other words, they need to remember who they are and to live like like it through that spirit. That's the point Paul is making. He urges those who are living by the spirit to restore any who may have been tempted by self-pity or self-indulgence and to come to the Lord. So we see that life in the spirit is is a life that issues forth in the fruit of the spirit. We turn again to Galatians chapter 5, and look at it, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit, it didn't say the fruits. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Do we see that all those are social qualities? gentleness is a relation to somebody. All those aspects of the fruit are relational. You see, we can't pick one and choose one, not at all. As a result of the indwelling Christ, we are supplied now with a new principle of activity on the very ontological level of our very being, which is based on our initial conversion experience and more. So it involves a dynamic, ongoing, and intimate relationship with the Lord that not only is the ground of the life of holiness, but also is grounded in the life of holiness. You see, whatever holds true for Paul in those verses holds true for us. So as we think about it, how are we exhibiting the fruit of the spirit. Holiness is intricately linked and connected with the fruit of the spirit. I pray the Lord helps each and every one of us to live lives that befit our calling and demonstrate the holiness that Christ has purchased for us and made available to us. And let's remember once again, whatever God's word commands, is e spirit and ebos.